Welcome to the Education Technology Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Landon Jones. You've probably heard of it. It's sort of a buzzword now, project-based learning. Teachers that utilize this type of learning are inadvertently providing students with the soft skills for future success. But someone had to be the first. Here to talk to us about the benefit of taking risks in the classroom and new ways of documenting classroom culture and learning is education thought leader and founder of MLTS Hawaii, Josh Rapoon. How are you doing today, Josh? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. So you've been an educator for some time. How many years did you spend in the classroom? Um, I spent 17 years in the classroom here in Hawaii. Uh, I started, I think, in 1994 at Punahou School. I taught there for a bunch of years. Um, I also taught at an all-girls school here in Honolulu called La Pietra Hawaii School for Girls. And I think in 2010, I moved over to Iolani School, which is um, a private school here in Honolulu. And uh, there I taught as well as... um, worked on their ed tech team, their tech integration team. So I watched a YouTube video that you posted um, back from your time as an educator at La Pietra that documented your classroom and the classroom culture that you and your students created. I was wondering what inspired you to make this video? Yeah, that's a great question. I want to come out of the gate here and make a really, really strong point uh, to anyone who's listening to this podcast, uh, which is that it's truly epic, it's truly awesome to be able to step back in your classroom and record what's going on in your classroom using still photos and video. It's it's hard to describe what a really neat feeling it is to step back as your students are working on their projects and they're you know, working with their laptops or their iPads or their tablets or whatever technology they're working in or whatever projects they're working on, whatever the subject is, when as a teacher you step back and you look at what's going on and then you begin to record what's going on with your camera, with your video camera, something very special happens. You begin to see your classroom in a different way. And so I just, I really encourage teachers out there who are taking risks and are doing innovative and imaginative and creative things in their classrooms to take the time to record what's going on. Don't just let it happen uh, and then it'll disappear and no one will know about it except in the memories of the teacher and the student. Um, Record it, Get, get a hold of some equipment, get your school to fund equipment, use your iPhone, use your smartphone, Um, your Android device and start recording what's going on. Take stills, take video. It's truly remarkable. Um, It's a good feeling. So for me, that happened way, way back in, I think, 2003. I'm not sure exactly what caused me to do it. Um, I just remember that there was a clear shift at some point and I found myself starting to take photos of what was going on and take video of what was going on in my room. Um, And that was a bit of a turning point for me. And so then what did you use these videos for? Did you go back and watch them yourself to to see how the students were doing? Yes, absolutely. So again, great question. 
In the beginning, when I started recording what was going on, um, you know, there was just some impulse that was going on inside of me that I, I needed to record what was happening in my classroom. And by the way, my classroom at La Pietra is pretty small, and I was very blessed to have small classroom sizes. So I think the largest class I ever had was 17 students. So lucky me that I had that opportunity. So I was in the middle of shifting towards project-based learning. And I was also in the middle of developing myself as a technology-based teacher in the classroom. And this was fortunately uh, the very beginning of um, Apple devices coming into the classroom. And Apple was starting to make a, a concerted effort uh, through their Apple education division to put technology in the classroom. So at that point, we were talking about laptops. So I had a, a visionary tech, uh, two visionary tech directors at, at La Pietra who helped me to get one-to-one -one in my classroom with laptops. And I also had editing bays. I had iMacs. I had pretty much the whole works. And they just totally trusted me. They were willing to go with my, with my uh, risk. At that point, I was really taking a risk and moving forward with technology without having a clear plan. So in the end, I had all of this in place. And then I started to step back. And, and at that point, just using, a, I think it was a Canon Rebel and I also had a Panasonic video camera. I just started to shoot what was going on in my classroom. So then, you know, I, I yes, you're right. I was just looking at it. I was viewing it on my laptop. I was trying to kind of see what it looked like to see my classroom as a person who had stepped back and was seeing it from a distance. Um, but right around the same time is when YouTube became a phenomenon. And I also recall that YouTube started to make a shift um, towards channelization. In other words, they were, instead of just having the bajillions of viral videos that people were posting, they were really making a concerted effort in the direction of, of uh, channels. So they were encouraging people to create channels, even individuals, not just, in, not just organizations or groups. Like as an individual, I could create a channel. So I created my Josh Rapoon YouTube channel, and that was kind of the beginning of, a, of an unfolding story of me starting to document what was going on in my classroom and putting it up on YouTube. And I, I have to admit, <laughs> I was flying blind at some points, you know. Um, I wasn't asking for the kids to sign any waivers. I hadn't even talked to administration. Uh, the parents didn't really know what was going on. I was just experimenting in my classroom. But it was really, really fun to go through that process. Any teacher who's doing this, who's, you know, engaging in innovative and creative and imaginative things in their classrooms and working on all the soft skills, the development of soft skills, project-based, inquiry-based learning, any teacher who's doing that and then begins to realize that it's important to document what's going on is going to need help because very few teachers can just go through that alone. It's a sometimes very technical process to learn how to create a movie, how to create an audio a broadcast, how to edit that movie into something that has a beginning and a middle and an end and how to how to share it on social media or how to put it up on a YouTube channel. So I, I want to make a plug here. This was, I was one of the very first teachers, maybe one of the first individuals to sign up for a one-to-one -one program at the Apple store. So it turns out there was an Apple store just down the road from La Pietra at Kahala Mall. And they, they opened up, I was aware of them, and I had gone down there because I was using Apple devices in my classroom, but then they opened up this thing called the one-to-one -one program. So for $99 a year, you could sign up for this one-to-one -one and you were able to go in once a week to get training with the Apple creatives. 
And I still remember that moment like it was yesterday. They raised the gate at seven o'clock in the morning on the store. And there was my first creative. And the first thing that we worked on that day was how do you import video from a camera into an iMac? And then what is this thing called iMovie and how do you use it? And that was the beginning. So I think I set a record at that Apple store. I went 47 weeks in a row, so almost an entire year. I was there every single week for an hour getting training for $99. Now, that, that program doesn't exist anymore with Apple. But just, just imagine how many people, you know, how many teachers' lives were changed by that program and how many kids' lives were changed by that program because... Because that they, they were really integral to what EdTech was all about. I was wondering if you could give me an example or a story of something that maybe you learned from stepping back and using this approach, something that you didn't see from the way that you had been doing things before. I think the first moment that I knew I was onto something was when I realized that my students were starting to teach each other both the content of the course that I was teaching and the technology that we were using in the classroom. So as I stepped back and started to record what was going on, obviously that's time that I'm not spending teaching kids content or teaching them how to use the technology. And so who's going to do the teaching? Well, the kids naturally and creatively and imaginatively started teaching themselves. So I'll give you a specific example. So one of the one of the projects that I had going in my European history class is that the kids were creating a coffee table book uh, of art history. So we inserted an art history theme into my European history course. So the technology that we were using at the time was um, Apple laptops. The software we we're using was Pages, and Pages isn't a fantastic program. It's uh, Apple's analogy to Word. And so the kids were charged to create a single coffee table page for a class coffee table book on art history. And what I observed right away was instead of me teaching every single kid, well, here's how you use pages. I taught one kid pages, that kid taught three peers, and then those three taught everybody else. And within just a few days, the entire 10th grade at La Pietra knew how to use pages. So that's what happens when you step back and trust that kids can do what they need to do in a classroom to to get the work done if if you know what i mean so it's a it's just it it's an awesome thing for me to think back on that and to think wow it's really stepping out of being the sage on the stage and becoming the guide on the side and it gave the kids an opportunity to become teachers very early on in the process was that emphasis on um, soft skills something that you always had in your classroom? Yeah, that's wow, great question. I, you know, it's all we're talking about right now in education. I mean, the conversation nationally and globally is about soft skills, about about uh, you know determination, about grit, about collaboration and critical thinking skills, and the ability to work in teams. These are all the soft skills that you have to have. Um, very early on in my classroom, it became an emphasis, but I don't know that I was actually thinking about it in those terms because there wasn't really either a local or a national or a global conversation around it. So I, I think I was just flying blind. I was going through it in on instinct. What I saw happening in my classroom felt right to me. It, it, when you have kids working, as you saw in the, in the 
in the YouTube video that I shared with you about my European history class, you can see students with their heads together over a laptop and they're working on something that they both care about and they're teaching each other and they're figuring out how to use the technology and what the meaning of the content is. And, and that's, that's very special to me to see images like that. Um, did, did, I, did I have an active conversation going around collaboration, around resilience, around determination or critical thinking? No, I didn't. That didn't come until later when I, as an ed tech coordinator, as a tech integrator, got involved in those conversations that were local and nationally. Then I realized out that you know this is what the conversation was about. So yeah, that's a great question. It's kind of funny to think that sometimes you do things on, in, on, on based on instinct, um, and then later the, the formalization of the conversation, if you will, um, you know, comes about as you begin to work with your fellow professionals who are doing the same thing. Absolutely. Going back to your example about the, the coffee table book, I think it's really cool to give students those types of assignments where they have something that's of value that they can later show off to potential employers, to universities, to prove that they have the skills to create something, not just memorize something. Absolutely. You know, that's just such an important point. Um, today, and then going back to your previous question, that's like totally germane. Today, we talk about it in formal terms. We call it public displays of learning. And it is that is a phrase that's now being adopted in public, private, and charter schools across the country and even around the world. And the film that I promote in Hawaii, Most Likely to Succeed, is really based at, uh, it's, it, it takes place mostly at High Tech High in San Diego. It's really based on one night's public display of learning. So you're absolutely correct. I, again, working on instinct very early on, started to take images of, of the work that they were creating. My students let this, the, the coffee table book. So I started taking screenshots of what they were doing and I created a website. And now again, Apple was super helpful to me because they had a web development tool called iWeb. Um, it has since, it's not supported anymore, which was a absolutely heartbreaking moment for me because I love that program. Um, but I created my first teacher website with iWeb, uh, joshrapoon.com. And I started to, I, I, so one of the web pages was my European history class. And I started to document all of these uh, coffee table book pages that the students were doing. So imagine as a student that your teacher thinks enough of your work to put it up on a public bulletin board like that. Um, and yes, absolutely. When I was writing college letters of rec, I would say, go to joshrapoon.com, scroll through the pages, look at what the students were working on collaboratively, look at the way that they came together with this book and know that the student that I'm writing about was right in deep with this whole process. So yes, absolutely. And then, you know, later, in, in our ed tech world now, it's really exploded because we're starting to talk about mastery transcripts, mastery.org. We're talking about student portfolios of work. That conversation has come a long ways in 10, 12, 15 years. And it's really exciting, but it was neat to be on the kind of front end, again, working instinctively to just put that work up and let people see it, especially parents, by the way. So yeah, absolutely. I was wondering what has changed in the classroom and in, in education since you've been a student or since you've been a teacher, but also what has stayed the same? I graduated from high school in 1976 from Punahou School, which is a 
uh, a premier or arguably the premier private school in Hawaii and one of the premier private schools in the country. Now, I'm not disrespecting my alma mater, but I can tell you that my education in Punahou was by and large a waste. Um, I was very definitely a project-based student. I loved working with my hands. I loved doing things in project-based situations. It's how I grew up. It's the way I was raised, but that's not the kind of schooling that I got. So on the one hand, across the country and across the world, we still have traditional classrooms where kids are lined up in rows of desks, listening to somebody speak to them about algebra, about history, about science, about physics, about art, whatever it is. And it goes in one ear and out the other. They are vessels that we are filling up with information and study after study shows that they don't retain that information. So on the one hand, very much the same around the world. We, for 150 years, we've been educating students in the same way. It's the way I was educated. It's still happening all over the place. Um, on the other hand, wow, we are at an amazing moment locally, nationally, globally, where some of the most remarkable things that could happen in a classroom are happening right now. Um, I'll give you a specific resource. I'll give your, our, our listeners here a resource. Pick up a copy of Ted Dintersmith's book, What School Could Be. Um, he's the executive producer of uh, the film Most Likely to Succeed. He, after he released the film uh, back in 2015, went on a year-long uh, tour of the United States. He went to all 50 states. He poked into every corner of the country. And after it was all done, his last stop was the 50th state here in Hawaii. Um, he wrote a book called What School Could Be. And if you, if you want to read a thousand stories of remarkable things going on in the classroom, things that I, I Josh Rapoon, about to turn 60 years old, wish I had gone through as a student, um, that's, that's the book to read. It really is. Um, so whew, we're at a moment here. Uh, it, the moment is whether the traditional way of teaching will continue or whether it will be moved aside appropriately to make way for a new way of teaching and learning that best meets the needs of kids in this 21st century. And for our last question, if you could bend the ear of educators across the country, what would you tell them? If I could bend the ear of educators across the country, I would tell them three things. I would tell them to be bold. I would tell them to be brave and I would tell them to take a risk. And then I would, and then I would want to bend the ear of all of those educators, leaders in their public, private and charter schools. And I would tell those leaders one thing, and that would be as your educators in your schools take risks as they're being bold and brave, get their backs, have their backs, support them, give them an opportunity to take a risk um, and tell them that that kind of risk is the best possible way to learn what to do better. Um, if we can get to that point where a majority of school leaders are telling their educators, go for it, I've got your back, let's just try this and see what happens, then I'm gonna feel like maybe uh, our country has turned a corner in terms of education. I think we're getting close, by the way. I really do. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that. Josh, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for listening to today's podcast. 
If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can go to marketscale.com backslash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Landon Jones. Until next time.